Every day, I am getting one step closer to having another healthy baby, and Caraway Home is helping me do that. Their ceramic, naturally slick surface cookware allows you to cook with minimal butter. Uh, they're very easy to clean, just a little warm water, you wipe it down. And the best part is, is that Caraway products are made without any toxic materials like BFASs, BTFEs, and a bunch of other things like I can't even pronounce. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, right now, visit Caraway wayhome.com slash TSFS to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive to my Sarah Fraser Show listeners. So visit carawayhome.com slash TSFS or use code TSFS at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. It's time for you to see what all the fuss is about, read about their five-star reviews and why so many TSFS fans buy Caraway Home. Order now. Join Reddit on Wiki every Monday and Friday for some of the most jaw-dropping stories Reddit has to offer. With each episode, John, Sean, and Josh meticulously curate the most engaging content from Reddit, transforming it into a podcast experience filled with laughter, awe, and sometimes disbelief. I, I bet. Get ready for a roller coaster ride of emotions with the most captivating stories from the corners of the internet. Subscribe to Reddit on Wiki wherever you get your podcasts. My gosh, did anyone spend the weekend hold up watching the curious case of Natalia Barnett on Discovery ID or basically on Hulu? Oh, Lord. I mean, has anyone, has anyone, I cannot think of a more, um, what was the last one? Tiger King? And then what was the one before that with the guy who making a murderer? No, there has never been another documentary as bananas as The Curious Case of Natalia Barnett. I literally just finished it and I am recording this podcast, six-part series. If you have Hulu, Discovery ID, or Discovery, I should say, Discovery Plus, um, if you get an ID network, you can get it. This six-part series is freaking crazy. Okay, welcome to the podcast, by the way. Y'all know me. Sarah Frazier, you're listening to the Sarah Frazier Show podcast, brand new episode, seven days a week. I'm actually like, I'm, I'm like having a meltdown. We're going to talk about two things on today's podcast. I'm reviewing The Curious Case of Natalia Barnett, the documentary. If you haven't seen it and you don't want to know spoilers, <clears throat> you can skip ahead to the part where I talk about Hollywood, Inside Secrets. <laughs> How am I juxtaposing these two things? Well, it's kind of the perfect mesh, okay? It's actually the perfect story. Because a while ago, I just put out feedback on my Instagram, like questions, and a listener said, I want to know more secrets about what is going on in Hollywood. You moved out there to further your career and be a producer, so how's it going? So I'm going to talk about that. So if you don't want to know what happens in the curious case of Natalia Barnett, skip ahead. This documentary, all right. But we're going to start there first. So let's go back. What is this exactly about? Who is Natalia Barnett? Natalia Barnett, you might remember this story, I think it was 2016, 2017. It was definitely prior to the pandemic. Had gone viral about a young girl who was a Ukrainian orphan who um, had been adopted by a family here in the United States. And the story went bananas because 
apparently she was duping the family. She was not six years old. She was not a six-year-old little person. She was, in fact, like 18 or 20 years old. She lived with this family. She was hoarding knives at night. She had tried to poison them by putting Lysol into the mother's drink. And she apparently was like the orphan from hell. The rumor even got started that the movie The Orphan, which is essentially the same premise of this orphan that they, this family adopts and thinks it's going to be great, but the orphan is evil, a lot of people felt that that movie was based on Natalia. Now, it doesn't add up the timing because I believe The Orphan film was like 2015 or 2016. The bottom line is The Orphan film came out before this story broke. Lord. So I believed, and Natalia went on Dr. Phil with her new adopted family, which, by the way, are her adopted family to this day. She has lived with them for like six plus years. They have officially adopted her and said that it's not true, that she never lied about her age. She was, in fact, the age she said she was, and that the Barnetts were evil people. So, uh, you know, he, when this first story was coming, this is this is why I fucking hate the media. And actually, I should not say that because I'm a part of the media. Y'all know I've worked for Channel 5 in Washington, D.C. for like over a decade, like 13 years, who I love. And they every single person there does amazing journalists. Like local journalists are legit journalists. They truly remain non-biased. They go out and find good stories. They do the best journalism that they can. So I can't say that about the media. But what I hate about these stories is... Something like this, you know, the headline sells the story, right? You know, insane orphan tries to murder family. That's like going to get all the clickbait. And I fell for it. I thought Natalia Barnett was this evil person trying to dupe a family and trying to kill them. I just watched six parts of a documentary that I want Natalia Barnett on this podcast to apologize to this woman's face. She was with a fucking crazy nutsack of a family. Nutsack of a family. That, by the way, the production company of this curious case of Natalia Barnett deserve so much credit. I'm telling you, this is like making a murderer. How they got embedded, how Michael Barnett, the insane father, this man comes off bat shit to the bone crazy. I mean, bat shit to the bone. He get, At one point in the documentary, and all these documentaries to me now are, I, I don't know if it's because I have to watch so much television. They're way too long. This documentary is six parts, each episode over an hour. It's brutal. It is so slow of some of the same crap over and over. What Natalia was like, what, you know, their day to day. I mean, we could have summarized how they adopted Natalia in five minutes and moved on to the story. This, this needed to be three parts max, but they drag it out because it's good for commercial money. Anyhow, how they adopted her. And this is also the first red flag. Okay. My husband and I have been pursuing the foster to adopt. Um, you know, we, we've, uh, Schman, of course, you guys heard his health issue. We're a little on hold, okay? We're, we're having some Schman issues in the house. Thank God he had a cardiac ablation. If you didn't hear the full story, the podcast episode is up yesterday. He was in the ER last week for five days. He passed out. Thank God we're on the mend. Anyhow, but eventually we want to foster to adopt, right? And one of the first things, because you have to go to orientations, is they are totally full disclosure. I don't even think that they do closed adoptions in the United States anymore, period. 
even if you are going through an agency to adopt a child overseas. It's not good for the kid. It's not good for you. It's not good for the family that has given this child up for whatever reason they might have given this child up. Okay, so the Barnett family, who are from the Midwest, get this phone call from an agency in uh, Florida that basically says, we have this young orphan girl. You only have 24 hours to pick her up. You need to fly here immediately and get her. It's a closed adoption. We know nothing about her. And they do it. I mean, who in the fuck does that? Who does that? And, you know, the scariest part about this whole thing, Christine and Michael Barnett are the parents who, in this new documentary, come off as abusive, psycho, uh, you know, emotionally unstable human beings who had three biological children before they adopted Natalia. And how sad for Natalia. I have never done a 180, honey, so badly in my life. Like I said, maybe making a murderer. But... So they adopt this little girl. They claim within, you know, the, like two days after they pick her up, they give her a bath. She has full pubic hair for a six-year-old girl. Christine screams. That begins the whole downside of, they, you know, this girl who they claim is not the age that she is. She, she had a period. Of course, what we find out later in the um, six-part documentary is Christine may have actually fabricated, like made up the period like framed Natalia because Christine wanted her gone. We also find out Christine is like a sex addict who is, when she and Michael go to get divorced, is trying to lure him and basically gets him because Michael is a sex addict. You guys, you guys, you're going to sit there and you're you're not even going to believe. You're going to go, oh, you know what? I got a few minutes to go get a glass of water. There can't be that many twists and turns. And then Michael... During the documentary, would get down in the ground. He would say, Christine was physically abusive to Natalia. Do you want me to demonstrate? He'd get up out of his chair where they're filming him. He'd get down on the ground and he'd start beating the ground in a reenactment of how Christine allegedly hit Natalia. What in the... And this man goes crying and he was sexually abused by Christine, his ex-wife. This is what he alleges. He says, well, it's not your typical sexual abuse that you think of when, when you know, someone's abusing a child or someone is sexually assaulted. No, she, she, I was a sex addict. It was the only thing I could control in my life. She knew it. So she would send me pictures of herself topless and she would get me to make custody decisions because she knew I was so horny and I wanted it. <laughs> you, can't, you cannot, you cannot, like... You guys, this is the saddest how this poor woman, and of course, fuck that agency in Florida. I, you know what? And that's something that's missing from this documentary is what the hell happened to that goddamn piece of shit agency that adopted this poor girl to the Barnetts that never did a full background check because they would have found out, which we find out in the documentary, is that Michael and Christine had a long history of police calls. They had on and off physical abuse fights threatening each other. And then in the midst of all that, I call him the Nozempic Benon Ozempic doctor. I'm talking about Dr. Applin and his wife who founded My Optimal Body. I am so happy about this. These are the first mindful eating-based doctors I have ever partnered with. They see patients nationwide, and they are seeing more patients who have been on Ozempic, and Ozempic has failed for them. What makes My Optimal Body so unique, and why am I endorsing them? It's because Dr. Applin actually looks at 
food additives, your, your addiction to food, your mental health. They do a whole look at you, including your gut health. Many of Dr. Applin's patients are working out, restricting their diets, and still gaining weight. Why is that? Because something's going on in your body and with your mind. Visit MyOptimalBody.com to request an appointment. Be sure to tell them the Sarah Fraser Show sent you so you can qualify for a free personalized assessment, plus a bonus free 30-day supply of their gut repair product when you sign up for a customized plan. Again, that's MyOptimalBody.com to request an appointment. Christine and Jacob's oldest son is a savant, essentially. This Jacob Barnett, who appears as the only child, and Christine doesn't appear in the documentary. Natalia doesn't either, but here's the catch. Natalia's side, Natalia Speaks is what it's titled. Her own side of the story is coming out very, very soon. Entertainment Tonight had a sneak peek. I cannot wait to hear that. I want to hear from this poor woman. Oh my God, who's a woman now, but after all this, I actually believe... I do think her age was off. Okay. When the Barnett family adopts her, they think she was born in 2003. And they adopt her, um, let's see, 2009, 2010. So she would have been like seven years old. I do think that was slightly off. Okay. I don't think she was seven years old. I think she was older. And Beth Karras, shout out to Beth Karras, who you'll see in the documentary, longtime attorney. Oh, also went to my alma mater, Mount Holyoke chick, very smart woman. She's in it and she breaks it down. She says a lot of times this re-aging goes on often in international adoptions because the inter- usually the international agency, meaning whatever country the child's coming from, they'll change up the birthday because a younger kid is obviously more desirable, right? The younger the child, the better for a family. So it's not, it wouldn't shock me if Natalia's age is off by like, okay, they thought she was seven, she's probably 10. Right, or 11, which you know that kids 10 or 11 can start getting pubic hair now. Seems wild, but it does happen more often than we think. So that makes sense to me. But she now, after watching this, this chick wasn't 17 at just the age of, so if we're going by, she was born in 2003, or let's say she was born in 2000, right? By 2013, they move this girl out to two apartments on her own when she's probably just 13 or 14 years old. And y'all, they get the neighbors. They get the neighbors of two of these apartment complexes to talk about Natalia. Now, this is interesting because I, at this point, I'm like, I'm all in Team Natalia. This poor woman, I cannot believe I thought she could have been you know, a psycho orphan when in fact, you know, she's absolutely not right. She's probably so abused by this family. And and the other weird thing, they're always, and the film evidence is used in the documentary. They're always filming and confronting Natalia. Natalia, did you, why did you, why did you pee the bed? Did you pee the bed? And then they're like, you're going to be in timeout. You're going to stay, just very abusive, very Like, not at all concerned, but more like already from the defensive, they hate her. It's really fucked up. Whereas most people, right, you find this girl, she's got behavioral issues. I would think maybe you're filming the behavior when when you, like, maybe you don't think she's looking to show a therapist, but you'd be immediately getting her to a therapist going, okay, what's, what's going on? What can we do? They never do really any of that, Okay. They, they kind of hash this plan to get her re-aged, which they're successful in doing, and then they move her out to her own apartment as a way to get rid of her. Y'all wild. Now, this is where it does flip back to, I don't know that Natalia is as innocent. 
either, okay? But if she's only 13 or 14 years old and she's living on her own, her behavior makes a lot of sense. She's in this one apartment complex in the Midwest. They get all her neighbors to go on camera. And the neighbors basically say she was a pest. She'd sit out on, you know, the stoop. She'd, you know, every time they came out, she'd come over. She'd want to talk to them. She'd be be asking a lot of questions. When are you going to be coming back? When are you gone? She entered people's apartments when they weren't there. She would help herself to food. I mean, she apparently was like always hungry. Um, Christine and them had gotten her food stamps, but really didn't help her or get her food until the state had got involved. So, and they, you know, they said that she did tell some really weird stories, like how she did try to poison Christine and that's why she was living there, which clearly freaked the neighbors out. She also talked about an incident where she had hid knives in her room because she was, you know, going to kill Christine if Christine tried to attack her. The neighbors, and there's this one grandmother, you all know who I'm talking about if you've watched it. There's like this one grandmother that's like, oh, she was possessed. Like this grandmother is like, this grandmother has no fucks. This grandmother's like, she was a pest. Nobody liked her. I couldn't wait to see her gone. I mean, like the grandmother's like spoken by a true grandmother, I guess. But even a young couple, they were like, yeah, she was really off. Now again, I think most of us would be if we were abandoned by our Ukrainian mom, adopted by this horrible family that doesn't want us and was probably abusive, and then sent out on our own to fend for ourselves in an apartment. We were like 13 or 14, all right? So I did, you know, I did flip-flop back to like, she's probably not, you know, I mean, she probably had some serious issues and some of the neighbors were afraid of her. So... By the way, we learn about her Ukrainian mom in this documentary. It's full circle. They go back to the Ukraine right before like the Ukrainian war. This is like all new. They get a DNA test and it is one of the saddest moments of the documentary. The mom basically says that in the Ukraine when she gave birth to Natalia and she says Natalia was born in 2003. So she confirms that Natalia is like... Uh, not even off, like I suggest, that Natalia is just, is like the age she says she is. So if she was born in 2003, she's 20 now. So it's very sad. And the mom says that she gave up Natalia because they, the doctor said that she was deformed. She would never walk on her own. And she, they should just abandon her at the hospital. They would send her to the United States to be adopted and don't look back. And like, the mom's heartbroken. She says it's the worst thing ever. She thought her daughter would be better off in the United States, and then it turned out to be worse. I mean, I just can't even imagine. But they actually speak to the mother. Then, because um, there's some debate about Natalia's age, cleanliness, she's in this apartment where, I, you know, I, I think she's like up on a second story where she can't really walk. Eventually, Michael and Christine are investigated, they get divorced, and they are charged with like child neglect, all this stuff. The two of them get incredibly lucky. Michael goes to a full trial. He's found not guilty of any child abuse charges because the judge rules in this case that age cannot be a factor, which of course the whole case is based on age, right? Because if they turned her out and she was just 12 years old, even 16 years old as a minor, they're fucking responsible, which... I believe after watching this, they totally did. I think they were nutsacks to begin with. They adopt this little girl. Things get even more out of control. Maybe she did have behavioral issues because given her life. 
And, 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 you know, because she was with even another family before the Barnetts, that family decided they didn't want her and were basically shopping around to try to sell her or give her to another family. This poor girl has been so abused. Like, thank God we're going to finally hear from her. And the family that has been with her, I really kind of want to meet and give credit to because we really had a whole different picture of this story. And the Barnetts are going to be, like, destroyed in public opinion after this. I mean, Michael Barnett, ugh, what a mess. A mess. At the end, they show how manipulative and crazy he is. And he's like, do you want crying? Because I can do that. I can put on crying. Anyway, the way this this ends, because we have not heard Natalie's part, which will be out at any point. Again, there's so much fluff in between. Oh, my God, you guys. Ugh. They spend an episode going through the trial prep. That could have been three minutes, sweetie, and we could have moved the fuck on, okay? And we have to hear Michael's reaction to the trial, Michael's mother's lead up to the trial. Again, I give the production company a ton of credit. Like, they got all access to this guy. It's amazing that he would do this. Um, the, the verdict is neither Christine nor Michael are charged. They get divorced. Jacob Barnett, who's in the film, living in his father's basement, is still some savant apparently working in physics. But, uh, you know, he's, uh, it certainly doesn't look like a glamorous life. He got his master's supposedly at 14. I'm sure he's very bright, but he looks like very, like a sad young man. Um, And we just see that we see this other guy, this other little person that Christine reached out to that at first she was going, that she just kind of wanted to supposedly ask him questions uh, to make Natalia more comfortable. And then she starts selling him, sending him sexually explicit photos and then supposedly wants him to hook up with Natalia. It's so fucked, you guys. This documentary is crazy. Crazy. Anyhow, I need to hear from Natalia. And that's it. The, 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 the documentary ends with Christine and Michael never being charged. You know, Michael's trying to supposedly rebuild his life. I have no idea. I mean, I don't even know why Michael would agree to do this. I don't know what job is going to keep him employed. He looks like a psycho. Did you watch? <laughs> what y'all think? I mean, the twist, the turns. Mmm. That was the most wild documentary I have seen in years, years. I cannot wait for her to speak. My God, I hope Natalia is okay. I mean, she, you know, of course she's, I'm sure she has issues. My God, this child's been abused, you know, maybe not a ton in the physical sense, although they definitely talk about kind of abusing her physically. But I mean, just shopped around from family to family and, oh, I hope she is thriving and she continues to thrive when Natalia Speaks is out. I have yet to see a drop date for that, but I'm guessing here in the next week and I will fully be covering. All right. Uh, Let's thank some sponsors, Horizon Fibroids. You guys, I love me some Horizon Fibroids and Dr. Will Neem. 80% of women will have a fibroid by the age of 50. Heavy period, heavy periods, long periods, bloating. Actually, are you bleeding so much you're getting blood transfusions monthly? That's happening to women. Or iron transfusions because they're so anemic. You need to go and see Dr. Wilney because a lot of people feel that their only option is to have a hysterectomy, and that's not true. Dr. Will Neem has been a specialist in uterine fibroid embolization. Lots of times our OBGYNs don't always tell you about that because, uh, well, 
insurance purposes. Uh, hopefully, your OBGYN is giving you options, but if not, you should always do your own research and get a second opinion. Check out horizonfibroids.com. Also, if you want to work with the Sarah Fraser Show podcast, we would love to have you on as an advertiser. Uh, we have worked with everybody under the sun, from banks to beauty products to hairlines to salons. And, you know, my audience is a lot of fabulous Washington, D.C.-based residents, L.A., New York, and, of course, we are worldwide. If you ship worldwide or you have a business that also covers nationwide, I'm your girl. Reach thousands of women every single month. Email thesarahfraser at gmail.com. Um, I got this lovely question. Can you talk more about what is going on with your Hollywood career and how it's, like, inside secrets? So... I have been out here in LA a little over a year. Schman and I and KJ moved here in January 2021. It is now June, so like going on a year and a half. I love LA. I wake up every day. I go outside. I'm obsessed with LA. You know, it's my industry, right? I love Hollywood. I've always wanted to be a talk show host. I feel like the Sarah Fraser show is this amazing training ground because now talk shows, you know, the years of like the Oprah Winfrey show when everybody had to tune in at four o'clock don't really exist anymore because now everything is on demand, right? So the glory days, uh, the glory hole days of, of talk shows really doesn't exist. But there is this new age of talk show coming. And I feel like I'm building that here in the Sarah Fraser show with you guys, amazing people. And this year, my goal is to work more on video, expanding that, um, and bigger name guests. So the past year I've been here doing that, right? Getting bigger name guests on the show, getting myself on shows. You guys have probably seen one of the biggest things that's happened to me is working with the Lifetime Network often. You've probably seen Schman and I got booked for Married at First Sight Couples Couch twice. I've been booked for After Party with Lifetime. I have another Lifetime show I'm going to be on coming up. So those opportunities just for me, I had to be here, right? And I know you guys are wondering, well, how do you get those opportunities? So what I'm learning about living in Los Angeles is it's not really who you know, it's who knows you, okay? So I've gotten these gigs from, I mean, actually kind of in a crazy way from booking a guest and the publicist of that guest was like, hey, I really like you. You should be on these shows and went to bat for me. So it's who knows you? So I I find that to be really interesting. The other thing I'm learning out here is you really need an agent. Um, representation is important here because it gives you a lot of legitimacy. And it also, like everywhere, and I think every business, there's always scams. There's always people trying to hustle in different ways. But when you have an agent, they know everybody. They know everybody. It's a small, small world. They can call up somebody for the most part, not not everyone. And there's different levels of like A-list, B-list, D-list. But your agent usually has amazing connections that get you in certain doors or pitch to certain shows. Um, let's see. I, you know, I've been asked to do auditions for things. Lots of times you audition for a TV show and then you never hear back if you don't get it. <laughs> you never hear anything. They might say, oh, we liked it. She's in the running. And then you either get it or you don't. Um, and I I've passed up on some things. I'm trying to like really hone in on where I'd be good. Actually, I was asked to audition for Wild and Out. Um, but I didn't audition for that because I actually love Nick Cannon. I would love – I want to meet Nick Cannon. Um, 
but I don't think that I would be a good fit for that show because mostly because I really can't ad lib and rap. So I mean, maybe I think I could, but I was like, the more I thought at first, I was like, yes, yes, I'm going to audition. And then I was like, no, I, I just, I don't know. For me, there's something about that that just doesn't feel like the vibe. It's all about the vibe. And you know what? The other thing about Hollywood, it's all about the vibes. That's what you find out here too. Uh, the other thing is most, um, it's so interesting. Like a lot of people on reality that you see on these reality shows, you th- are not as booked and busy as you think they are. So they're always kind of looking for their comeuppance. And I find a lot of the reality people that I've met, you know, obviously have been out here. I've met, you know, all the women from the cast of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Peter Madigal, uh, Camille Edwards. Um, I've run into Kanye West. I mean, every single person you can think of. I've had a lot of run-ins. It's always interesting to me inside Hollywood. You think like, God, these people are so famous. They're happy with their career. But everybody is still looking for something bigger and and more attention, I find. Um, let's see. Um, oh, people are wondering. The other thing, I have a lot of reality show concepts. The, the past year of my life has been amazing. I've got to develop those with a really great production company. I learned a shit ton. What did I learn? I learned how to write a reality show pitch. I learned, I got to pitch for major networks, including Hulu and Netflix. So I pitched to them, to their um, TV bookers. Uh, That was such a great experience. Finding good people for reality TV, what works, what doesn't work, um, which, you know, what you want in a person for a reality show is you want them to... I'm trying to think of like they have to be authentic and almost like unaware of how crazy they are. Does that make sense? That's hard to cast because most people become pretty self-aware of who they are and then they either play up too much to the camera or they don't want to put themselves out there because they don't want to they then they're worried about how they'll be portrayed. You need something like somebody like a a Teresa Giudice right or Candace Dillard Bassett. Candace is aware, but she knows the role she's going to play, and she plays it very well. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people have asked me, what's happened with the show, this reality show that you've pitched, and what's it about? Um, There are no new ideas, really, in Hollywood. So as much as possible, you try not to share your concept because even with this show that I pitched, which is really kind of a relationship-style show, um, that's, think, along the lines of 90 Day Fiance, but not quite that. There's always somebody, someone's already thought of your idea and is probably pitching it too. So it's kind of tricky. Like you don't want to tell too much because someone might take one or two of your ideas, use it for theirs, okay? But so far I'm just waiting. This this show is amazing. We've gotten incredible feedback. I mean, sometimes it can take two years for a show to sell, three years. I don't know if you guys just saw Kevin Costner just sold like a $30 million mansion he bought to put that money into a concept I think it was even more than that. It might have been like $75 million mansion in Santa Barbara he owns or something to go all in on a TV show concept that he's held for like 30 years. The movie Fletch, John Hamm, who I'm in love with, John Hamm. John Hamm was trying for six years. John freaking Hamm, as famous as John Hamm is, for six years to get Fletch made, the remake. So 
I love this show concept. I believe in it so much. I'm obsessed with the cast and I know it's going to get pitched and it's just a matter or it's going to get bought. It's a matter of I need more people to know who I am that are on the buying TV side. That's what it comes down to that go. All right. We trust you. Let's do this. So there are some inside Hollywood secrets. I love this town. I love everything about it. It is all all things Hollywood. Everybody here, for the most part, does work. They work for Sony. They work for Amazon. I mean, it's a little funky with the writer's strike. We'll see what happens. Um, A lot of shows, obviously, are on hold. I'm hoping maybe there'll be more interest in reality because I love reality. Um, But... We're in it for the long haul here, you know, and uh, there I love my favorite saying of all is David Carradine, who, you know, died from asphyxiation in a in a uh, hotel room in Thailand when he tied himself off to up to jerk off and then choked himself to death. Incredible actor. He would always say there are no failures in Hollywood, just people that give up too soon. And that's always been my motto. And I know I will make it in this town 110 percent because I never give up. That's like my signature thing. Believe me, after everything Schman went through last week, I'd like to. I'm having a moment. I've been eating my feelings away. Don't I look bigger? I said yesterday on the podcast, I'm so fat and I am and I don't care. <sighs> An emotional eater at heart, but I never give up. That is my, that is just my train. So anyway, anything you want me to talk about, you guys always DM me at the Sarah Fraser Show on Instagram. You can follow me on TikTok. Shenanigans on this show every single day. Bye, everybody.